Hi, listeners. Voice actor Atticus Jackson here. Halloween's over, which means us the No Sleep Podcast are moving on to our next big projects and beginning to prepare for the next season. Taking on new challenges or making changes in your life can be tough, and it can draw all your focus so much that it's easy to forget your own happiness and well-being. Or maybe there's something interfering with your happiness and preventing you from achieving your goals and even taking the next step in your life. All of us need the chance for self-care, but for some people, achieving that might require a helping hand. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. BetterHelp's service is available for clients worldwide. It doesn't matter when you need help, day or night. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Plus, you can even chat and text with your therapist between sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is even available. So, whenever you need some help, visit BetterHelp.com slash no sleep and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. No sleep listeners get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash no sleep. There's nothing to be ashamed of about asking for help. We all need it. And we all need self-care to be listened to. Whether you're working on doing something for a community or simply trying to get through your own day-to-day life, BetterHelp is there when you need it. So, no matter what you're doing, no matter how busy you are or how fast your life seems to move, make sure you take some time to care about yourself as well as those around you. So remember... Look after yourself by visiting betterhelp.com slash no sleep to get 10% off your first month. Thank you. yourself for the no sleep podcast
You you did it, James. You did it. 99.97% extraction success. Targeting beacons detect no significant trace of amalgam corruption on any previously affected continent. <laughs> I can't believe it. <coughs> <coughs> Mm. A bit, uh, messier than I imagined it would be. But I guess the whole thing was a few months later than I expected. It had time to spread into a lot of juicy folks. Or maybe people just have more blood these days. <laughs> Who's to say? But we'll get it cleaned up. Not quite sure what to do about all those storage tanks that ruptured across the moon's surface. I guess the cover is blown on our secret base up here. Ah, what's that? Peter, we know you're up there. We've been listening to the broadcast. What happened? What did you do? Whose blood is that? Kyle! Hey, man. Long time no... Uh, yeah, well, a bit of an accident with the illustration storage tanks up here. Me and James are trying to get it contained now. Sorry, you and... James? What do you mean? Oh, uh, James is here with me. He's also down there with you. What? Hello again, Kyle. And the good news doesn't stop there. But hey, let's do this in person, huh? I'm disabling the Lunar Portal security iris now. There we go! Alright, stand clear. Making the jump in three, two... Oh, oh, damn. Oh, that hurts so badly. Why didn't I put a cushion up here? Oh, Kyle, my legs. No, don't touch me. I'm fine. Come on, let's, let's get down the ladder. There's no time to waste. What the? Peter, is that really you under all that gore? <laughs> what am I saying? I mean, who else would... Yes, yes, it's me. It's what's left of me. Glad to see you. Looking well. You've been using the new skin cream. It's nice. Youthful. Almost to the bottom. Glad you've made it safely back to Earth, Peter. James! How I miss those sultry tones, you freaking hero. Siphoner of essence, salvation of humanity, conservator of... I don't think you need a fourth title. Come on. Walk and talk. What in the... I'm just gonna say it. What in the hell is going on here? We haven't even seen or heard from either of you in well over a year? We thought you were dead, James. I am sorry to cause you grief, Kyle. It has pained me to wait this long to reunite with you all. But I could not risk being discovered before Peter was able to realize his vision. What vision? Oh, it's nothing really. I was just worried there was an infection, and I didn't want our listeners to catch cold, so I removed the plague. Wait. We had a... We had a plague? Of a sort. The matter has been resolved. But how? It's... It's like, uh... What's that vampire from the show you're always talking about? 
You know, he's always laughing with the numbers. The Count? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And just like the Count, we waited for the cover of night. We asked politely to be invited inside. We drugged and seduced our way into the innermost sanctums of the residence and sunk our teeth into the proverbial neck of the unsuspecting victims within, removing in this way the corrupted essence within them. Okay, that's not what the Count does at all. And if you'd read my blog about the program, you'd... No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to insinuate anything untoward about the character of the Count. It's it's just a loose example. Man, I don't understand what's going on at all, but for now, I'm just glad you guys are okay. The rest of the gang will be back any time now. They called in a bit ago freaking out about your orbital art project. Ah, they picked up on those end-of-the-world vibes, huh? Good. And Dan and Atticus will be glad to know it was just you on the moon. They half had us convinced an alien invasion had begun. Hey, there's Dan. Dan, it's Peter. He was the moon truder. Peter? Hey, Peter, good to see you, man. Whoa, you look terrible. Can't stop, walk and talk. Peter's back? Hey, wow, you look awful. I can't help the features I was born with, Atticus. No, I just meant all the bl- Pardon the intrusion. Train arriving momentarily at Great Hall Station. Perhaps you'd like to freshen up before this reunion trend continues. For the sake of your self-esteem. Hmm. Good call. Hey, uh, take another lap around the hallway, guys. I'm ducking into the water closet. Uh, sure. But, hey, do do you need a fresh- Wait, why are we still walking? Are we really going to do just a slow circle in the bathroom? All right, I'm ready for my close-up. Did you clean up at all? I think he used some of the blood to slick what's left of his hair back. Uh, that I did. Thanks for noticing, Dan. It's not often you get a second chance to make a first impression, after all. Oh, and here's the canister of cover art. Didn't want you guys to get in trouble. Don't worry, I washed my hands after I handled it. Now let's get out on the platform and uh, greet our dear friends. Oh, wow. Olivia is docked to the train. (laughs) That's neat. Though I've never seen her panels turn quite that fiery red. Hey, up there, it's... it's me. It's, uh... Peter Joseph Lewis, you have violated security protocol 2217, endangering my charges. You are to be remanded and ritualistically tortured for no less than 11 months. Wow, you look terrible. Regardless, deploying stun net turret. Stand down, Olivia. Peter, I'm so glad you're all right. You and James both. He came online aboard the train when Olivia finished charging to briefly explain. It's been ages. Oh my, you don't look so good. Your plan was successful, yes? Because if you put my crew in danger for no reason, I will rain down upon you a searing hellfire the likes of which- Olivia. Sorry, she's become a little protective. Yes, it was- Almost 100% successful. It was all worth it, I promise. 
We were able to remove the infected cells from our listenership before they devolved into mindless, shambling, aggressive husks, all claws and teeth and ugh. Just, most of the corruption evaporated off into space. James is still cleaning up the rest inside the moon base. The listeners are unharmed? Yes, barely beamed more than a few droplets of blood from each of them. But even so, the end quantity was, uh... Severe. Complicated by an abundance of nooks. I've yet to even begin the crannies. However, I am confident that my efforts with the cleansing fire will prevail. Yeah, the owl may be out of commission for a while. Anyone else hear a bird in here? Then I am satisfied. Vengeance mode disabled. So, with the mess up there on the moon, we'll have to do the final live tour broadcast from the main control booth. I... I, uh... haven't gone back in there since... Well, it's not really important. I just... I just want to say... I know I haven't been very accessible... Lately, even before I disappeared for a year. But uh, I want you guys to know that you can trust me. We, we have each other's backs. Uh, I guess I felt like I needed to pull this off to prove that, to set things right. But I am truly sorry that I put you all in danger and that I kept you in the dark. I want to do better. And I know I'm saying this covered head to toe in the rapidly drying blood of the innocent. I mean, they're all fine. They didn't even notice me taking it, and there wasn't time to ask. So yes, it was technically a heist, but it was for the greater good, and you can you can just trust me, is all. But I understand. I do. If you'd like to just go ahead and... Fire a stun net, turrets, toss me in the brig, and continue to try to move on with your lives. I wouldn't blame you. I do always seem to mess things up, huh? Peter, I can't claim to understand a single word of what you just said, but you are a member of this team, a member of this family, and we couldn't be happier to have you back home where you belong. Yeah! Yeah! You know what he smells like, weirdly? Like some kind of burnt nickels? Yeah, exactly that. So odd. <sighs> if you only knew. Come on, let's all head to the control room. If you don't mind, I could use your help setting up the last batch of stories for those good and juicy folks out there. Happy to assist. Here, I've made a few notes. Feel free to improvise as it strikes you. Mm, me, 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 me. Everyone ready? Hello, Hello and, and welcome, welcome listeners, dear. I am incredibly proud to say that this is the No Sleep Podcast. We are? Well, frankly, we're all just grateful to be here, alive, together, with you. To have this chance to be heard, to be invited into your home, just... Just like the Count from Kyle... I mean, from my favorite TV show. 
I just told you, that's... To have the chance to tell stories that may fascinate you or shiver your spine, that lead you to ponder and dread, or just distract you from the difficult subjects of everyday reality. It is our great privilege to be in your life, to share our experience here, at least once a week. It is the thrill of a lifetime spent battling unspeakable horrors to perform for such a supportive audience. We have nothing but love for you all. We have nothing for them? Well, nothing but love, and this final selection of stories, which, like any humble train dinner made with secret ingredients, is sure to go down smooth. So, do make yourselves comfortable. Forgive yourself for that one embarrassing thing that just seems to keep resurfacing. You deserve to move on. Let your mind flow as if you're tumbling down the lunar portal jump. Let your imagination swirl like the colors of the goop acceptance port in the autumn. Oh, that's lovely. Follow me now into our first tale. Come along now for our first tale, where a British detective recounts the case of a young woman caught trying to kill her child. Goodness, that sounds like it must be written by Kathy Joy and performed by Andy Cresswell and Penny Scott Andrews. Indeed. So delve into a little family history with my perfect little boy. Ten years ago, when I was a newly minted detective inspector, I was given an unusual case. Officers had been called to a home disturbance only to find a mother trying to carve her four-year-old son like a Christmas ham. The officers managed to subdue her and keep the boy from harm, and the woman was placed in police custody. It was my job to figure out what happened. I started by questioning the mother. Her name was Rachel. During the interrogation, she sat stock still, staring into space, dark circles under her eyes. Despite my best efforts to coax her to talk, all she did was repeat, my perfect little boy, over and over. I went to Rachel's flat to see if I could find any clues. That's when I found her computer. It turned out that Rachel had been a blogger, and a fairly popular one too. Hoping it might offer a window into a broken mind, I went through each post. What I found has stayed with me to this day. I won't repeat every post, but I'll share enough to give you an idea of what happened. Minus the extraneous ramblings, of course. Wednesday, July the 5th. Title. So I started a blog. I've been struggling a lot recently, so my sister suggested I write a blog. So, here I am. Let's get something out of the way. I'm a single parent. I live in a tiny flat with my three-year-old boy, Joshua. He's an angel. He's always been easy to take care of. He cried very little as a baby, and I didn't even need to do much to get him to sleep through the night. I often think he did it himself. I've always been so proud of my genius little boy. The problem is I work from home. Being a single parent, I can't afford childcare. So I found a job writing product content. A company gives me details of their product, 
and I write the text that goes in the pamphlets or on their website, as well as product descriptions, etc. It's as boring as it sounds, but it pays the bills. As you can imagine, I'm often glued to my computer. I feel so guilty when Joshua asks me to play, and I have to tell him, in a minute, mummy's working. I took this job so I could be with him, but he's left to entertain himself almost every day. Am I a bad mother? Date, Friday, 21st of July. Title, Thanks for the Support. I just wanted to thank everyone for their supportive comments. Sorry I haven't responded to everyone individually. I'll try and answer as many questions as I can here. Lots of you have been asking about Joshua's father. Well, when I waved the positive pregnancy test at my husband, instead of being happy, he looked shocked and then angry. He accused me of cheating. Turns out, hubby dearest had gotten a vasectomy in secret. Can you believe it? Like all couples, we discussed our views on having kids. He said he wanted them. That turned out to be a lie. He knew I really wanted them, and said he did too, so I would marry him. For the record, I did not have an affair. I love my husband more than anything. I did my research. Sometimes vasectomies don't stick. Not that he cared. He packed his things and moved out, leaving me alone and pregnant. After months of fighting, I decided Joshua and I didn't need him in our lives, so I signed the divorce papers. I haven't heard from him since. Good riddance. When Joshua started asking about his father, I lied and said he died before he was born. It didn't seem all that far from the truth. When he's old enough, I'll tell him, but for now, the last thing I want is for him to know his own father didn't want him. Date, Thursday, 2nd of November. Title, I got the job. You know how I applied for that permanent role? I got the job! Now I have steady income, I won't have to work so many hours. I can't wait to spend more time with my precious little boy. I'll keep the blog running so I can update you on how things are going. Date, Friday, December the 8th. Title, Should I Be Worried? I peeked into Joshua's room to check on him and found him sitting on his bed, giggling, talking to somebody. Nobody else was in his room. I figured it was just an imaginary friend. Over the dinner, Joshua smiled and hummed to himself as he ate. He looked happy. Is it okay for kids to have imaginary friends? Should I monitor it? Date, Tuesday, December the 15th. Title, Imaginary Friend Drama. I took everyone's advice and asked him about his imaginary friend. Now I wish I hadn't. He told me he was talking to Daddy? Maybe I made a mistake telling him his father was dead. He seems so happy, though. Happier than he's been in a long time. Should I tell him the truth? Date, Saturday, January the 9th. Title, New Friends. You guys remember the new couple who moved into the building, right? The ones with the little boy about Joshua's age? Well, I took the plunge like you guys suggested, and it worked out perfectly. Here's the scoop. The couple are called Carla and Mike. Their son is called Tommy. He loves trucks and Lego, just like Joshua. Joshua was a little hesitant at first, but when Mike broke out a huge box of Lego, our boys dove into it and we didn't hear a peep out of them for hours. 
The two have become inseparable. Joshua is already begging to have a sleepover. Best of all, since he and Tommy have been playing together, Joshua hasn't mentioned his imaginary friend once. Date, Sunday, February the 21st. Title, Daddy is back. I was watching Tommy for Carla while she ran some errands. The boys were playing in Joshua's room, as usual. I kept the door open so I could keep an eye on them. Suddenly, Tommy screamed and I ran inside. He had a raw red mark on his cheek. Joshua was hiding in the corner. I managed to calm Tommy down. He told me Joshua hit him. I was mortified. Joshua knows better than that. Joshua claimed Daddy did it. I separated the boys, keeping Joshua in his room so he could think about what he had done. Is this imaginary friend thing getting out of hand? Date, Saturday, February 27th, 2016. Title, Help. Things have gotten worse. Joshua is throwing things around his room. I haven't caught him doing it yet. By the time I get to his room, the mess has already been made. The furniture is tipped over and his stuff is thrown about the room. He also keeps screaming, Mummy says you're not real, over and over in the middle of the night. The neighbours downstairs are complaining about the noise. I don't blame them. I've taken all the furniture out of his room and it seems to have stopped, but I can't stop him shouting. Should I take him to a therapist? Date, Wednesday, May the 4th. Title, New Pet. These are pictures of our new cat. Many of you suggested getting a pet to keep Joshua company. He named it Fluffy. Not original, but he's four. I was a little hesitant at first. Cats have been going missing around the neighbourhood, so I told Joshua that Fluffy must stay inside. That should keep the little fella safe. Joshua was so excited when we picked out a collar and some toys. He loves playing with Fluffy while I work. The weird thing is, the cat will go everywhere in the house, except Joshua's bedroom. Date, Wednesday, June the 1st. Title, Fluffy is Missing. I asked Joshua if he let Fluffy out, but he said no. I can't think of where the little guy could be. I'll put up posters. We'll find him soon. Date, Wednesday, June the 15th. Title, Worried. Since Fluffy went missing, Joshua has gotten worse. He keeps talking to somebody in his room. When I open the door, he stops and looks at me blankly. I ask him who he's talking to, but he just shrugs and says, Nobody, Mummy. It is creepy as fuck. I don't know. Maybe it's the sleep deprivation talking. I keep having nightmares about being chased through my house. It feels so real that I can't go back to sleep afterwards. Date, Saturday, July the 2nd. Title, Tommy is Missing. Carla knows she tucked him into bed last night. But when she checked on him this morning, his bed was empty. I checked Joshua's room just in case he had snuck in. I asked Joshua if he had seen Tommy, but he just shook his head. Date, Sunday, July the 3rd. Title, Update on Tommy. The police found Tommy's pyjamas covered in blood in an alleyway outside, but there was no sign of her little boy. With Carla's permission, I have put up a picture of Tommy. Please post it far and wide. 
If anyone has any information, please call the police and quote the crime number below. Date, Friday, 8th of July. Title, I think I'm going crazy. I don't know what's happening. I haven't been sleeping. As soon as I start to drift off, I hear the cry of a cat or the sobbing of a child. I rush to Joshua's room, but he's fast asleep. I feel like I'm being watched. The nightmares have been getting worse. And when I wake up, I swear I see a dark figure looming over me. But it vanishes. I'm scared. Unpublished draft. Date, Saturday, 17th of July. Title, Please Help Me. Oh God, oh God, oh God, they're here. All of them, under the floorboards. All the cats and Tommy. Oh God, I found Tommy, crammed in a suitcase in Joshua's closet. There's blood everywhere. And Joshua just stood there, smiling. Evil doesn't look evil. If it did, you'd never let it into your home. Never let it get close. Evil looks innocent, sweet. It fools everyone. I've locked myself in my bedroom. He's at the door. Please, somebody help me. My son, or whatever the fuck he is, is trying to break down the door. The banging is too hard for just a little boy. I think I can hear another voice. A man's voice. Mummy, Daddy wants to play, Joshua keeps saying. Oh, the hinges are starting to come loose. I can't get to my phone. My son is a monster. I don't know if he was ever a little boy. Please, help me. Date, Saturday, 17th of July. Title, My Perfect Little Boy. Everything is fine. Don't call me. Don't leave me messages. I will ignore them all. From now on, it's all about me and Joshua. My perfect little boy. My perfect little boy. My perfect little boy. My perfect little boy. That my perfect little boy crap went on for several pages. The draft was up for about five minutes before it was removed by the user and replaced with a my perfect little boy one. I handed in my initial report. Forensics searched the place. Sure enough, they found the bodies of various cats and other small animals under the floorboards and Tommy's body in the suitcase in the closet, just like the entry said. Shortly after the incident, the blog was removed out of respect for everyone involved. You won't find it anywhere except here. Rachel was charged with the murder of Tommy, as well as child abuse and reckless endangerment. Her defense managed to secure an insanity plea with little difficulty, especially when countless specialists agreed she had postpartum depression and potentially schizophrenia. Strange as it may sound, I felt sorry for Rachel. Watching her descent into madness through her blog posts was hard. The warning signs had been there. There was so much pressure on her that she cracked. Or at least, that's what I thought then. Now, I know better. Two weeks ago, my daughter Beverly called and begged for my help. Two of her foster kids, twin seven-year-old girls, went missing. She had already reported it to the police and they were dealing with it, but she wanted me to look around their room to see if I could find anything, just to reassure her. 
As her father, I couldn't say no. Sadly, I didn't find anything. As I came downstairs, I saw her other foster kid sitting at the kitchen table eating dinner. As soon as I clapped eyes on him, I recognized him. Those blue eyes and that mop of golden blonde hair were all too familiar. He'd grown taller and lankier, but there was no denying it was Joshua. He smiled, and it felt like an arrow made of ice shot through me. There was something off about his gaze. I brushed it aside, told myself I was imagining it. That night, I had a nightmare about being chased through my house. Something dark and shapeless was snapping at my heels, inching closer and closer. I was wrenched out of the horrific vision when my phone went off. For the briefest second, I thought I saw a dark figure looming over the bed before it vanished. I reached for my mobile phone, which was perched on the bedside table. It was 2 a.m. I answered, trying not to sound as groggy as I felt. Then the caller said words that every parent dreads hearing. Do you see I, Massey? It's your daughter. Something's happened. I drove like a bat out of hell to Beverly's. Police were already swarming the place. The flashing blues of the squad cars casting a sinister glow. Nobody would meet my gaze. A few officers tried to bar my path as I stormed to the door. I shoved them aside. Inside, my little girl was strewn over the floor. Her body bent at unnatural angles. Sitting at her side was Joshua. He looked up when I approached, eyes locking with mine. I could have sworn I saw the little bastard smile as I drew near. Daddy did it, he said, the trace of a grin on his lips. Beverly's spine had been snapped with such force that Joshua was immediately disregarded as a suspect, despite his history. There was no way a skinny 14-year-old had the strength to do that, they said. I knew better. I told them to check under the floorboards. Lo and behold, they found the bodies of the twins who had gone missing crammed into plastic bags to contain the smell of their rotting corpses. Even still, they let Joshua go. The girls had been savaged the same way as my daughter. Instead, Beverly's husband, a burly fireman, became their main suspect. They're going to charge him with three counts of murder. They're wrong. I know who really did it. I saw it on his smug little face. Joshua. There's only one way to stop this. I need to do what Rachel couldn't. I have a gun, and I plan to use it. That's why I'm recording this. I need everyone to know why I'm about to gun down a 14-year-old boy. Rachel was right. Evil doesn't look evil. That's why I'm going to do what she couldn't. I'm going to make sure he doesn't hurt anyone else. And if the little monster gets me first, I need everyone to know what he really is. He's... He's a... He's... He's a... Perfect little boy. He's a perfect little boy. He's a perfect little boy. He's a perfect little boy. 
He's a perfect little boy. In our second tale, we meet a boy who has convinced his parents to allow him to stay up late to watch a meteor shower. They soon realize, however, that one of the meteors appears to be heading directly for their neighborhood. Written by Taylor McNelly and performed by... The incomparable Nicole Doolin. Yes, yes. Alongside Ellie Hirschman, Mike Delgadio, Graham Rowett, Erin Lillis, and Mary Murphy. Do you dare discover what crash-landed in the woods? Well, whatever it is, you see. It fell from the sky. My ten-year-old son Connor came home from school practically vibrating with excitement. He had always been a bright child, and nothing excited him more than outer space. When he was four, he only wanted bedtime stories about spaceships and aliens and little men on the moon. During the summer, we would camp in our backyard on the weekends, and John and I would let him stay up late to watch the stars come out. Connor would be so sleepy by the time it was fully dark outside, but his eyes never strayed from the big dark sky above, filling every passing minute with more and more twinkling stars. As he grew up, he never lost that innocent passion of learning everything he could about space. He played exclusively with toy spaceships and aliens, watched TV shows about astronauts and distant planets. The kid was obsessed. John and I played into it, happy that our boy was so passionate about something. When he came home from school that day, I asked him what he was so excited about. There's going to be a meteor shower tonight, a real live meteor shower. Can I please, please stay up to watch it? I suppose you can. You're lucky this is happening on a Friday night and not a school night. When is it supposed to start? Oh, just later. Connor avoided my gaze. He shuffled away to put his backpack in the closet, but he couldn't fool me. I knew when my son was trying to get away with something. Connor was a smart kid, but not a real great liar. And what does that mean exactly? Well, the shower can really start at any time. It's not like a TV show, you know? I know that. When do you want to watch it? After midnight. What? Are you serious? You're ten years old, Connor. Regardless of whether or not it's a school night, you still have a bedtime. Midnight is really late. But that's when it's the best time to see them. It's really dark, so they show up the brightest. Please, Mom, you'll see how cool it is, I promise. He looked at me with puppy dog eyes, and I felt myself waver. Let's wait until your dad gets home, and we'll ask him... A cop-out for sure, but it was better than giving him the go-ahead just because I couldn't say no to him. What do you want for dinner? We spent the next couple of hours talking about the meteor shower that Connor just had to see. 
It was really incredible how much this kid knew about them. I wasn't really interested in learning about space, but I always loved hearing my son talk about something he was so keen on. By the time John came home from work, I thought Connor would have exhausted himself with all of his meteor facts. But of course I was wrong. As soon as John walked through the door, Connor just about pounced on him and started spitting off facts left and right. Poor John didn't even know what hit him. I stood in the hallway laughing at John's bewildered face as he tried to figure out what Connor was trying to tell him. And did you know that meteors are actually caused by particles that are only like the size of a grain of sand? But the heat they give off is so intense that we can see it from miles and miles away. Isn't that cool, Dad? <laughs> yeah, Con, it is really cool. <laughs> but why are you telling me all this? Did you learn about it in school today? Yeah, I did. Miss Riley told us there's going to be a meteor shower tonight, so we learned all about them in our science section. And then during library hour, I found a book all about meteors and meteor showers. Mrs. Cole let me check it out so I could take it home and read it when my homework is all done. And is your homework all done? Well, no. But it's the weekend, and I really don't have much. <laughs> all right. Fair enough, kiddo. Later that night, after listening to Connor talk nonstop for hours, John and I finally broke down and agreed to let him stay up to watch the meteor shower. Neither of us had the heart to make him go to bed and miss what was surely a rare occurrence. Not to mention, we both knew that even if we did send him to bed, he would just stay up to watch it out of his bedroom window. Connor could be stubborn and relentless. Just like his mom, John liked to joke. We did at least make him wash the dishes for dinner before agreeing to let him stay up for the shower. After nightfall, Connor led the way out into our front yard, facing the cul-de-sac beyond our driveway. It was a cool night, with just the smallest hint of a breeze rustling the leaves in the trees surrounding our little street. We set up a trio of folding chairs in the driveway and settled in to wait for the meteor shower. I thought how lucky we were to live in a relatively secluded area to watch the night sky. A small forest surrounded our cul-de-sac, and we only had two neighbors on either side of our house. A single lamppost lit the street, but all around us it was dark and quiet. Some of our neighbors, Tim O'Malley and his wife Marcia, saw us sitting in the driveway and came out to see what we were doing. Connor excitedly informed them of the meteor shower and how cool it would be. Hey, you're welcome to sit down and join us. We've got a couple extra camping chairs in the garage. Don't mind if we do. We weren't really doing much with our evening anyway, were we, Marcia? Marcia didn't say anything, but offered up a shy smile. They were the kind of couple that I always wondered how they even got together. Tim was social and charismatic, but Marcia always seemed so timid and afraid of everything. Somehow, they had made it work for the 35 years they had been married. Tim went back to his house next door and grabbed an old steel fire pit to set up in our driveway, while John grabbed the extra camping chairs. I passed out beers to the adults while Connor informed anyone who would listen everything he knew about meteors. We chatted and had a pleasant evening, while stars slowly filled the night sky. It was well past midnight when Connor yelled that he saw something in the dark night sky. Hundreds of stars twinkled in the inky blackness above us. 
Everyone craned their necks to look up. Tim cried out at the exact moment I saw my first meteor. It only existed for a fraction of a second before the trail of light was extinguished and the sky returned to darkness once again. Soon, more cries of excitement were made around our little circle as more and more meteors appeared in the night sky. It reminded me of the 4th of July and watching fireworks in the distance. We oohed and awed as shooting stars raced across the sky. There were so many of them. I felt so tiny as the sky rained fire above my head. I held John's hand, enraptured by the force of nature occurring overhead. He gave my hand a little squeeze, and I knew he was feeling as small as I felt. I watched as one particular meteor acted differently than all the others we had seen. This one didn't fizzle out after a second, but seemed to grow in intensity and size. The tail behind it lengthened and stretched across the sky. The ball of light at the head of the tail grew bigger and bigger. It grew so white-hot and so bright that it burned my eyes to look at it. I shielded my eyes and looked around at my neighbors. Everyone was covering their eyes, too, bewildered by this odd meteor that hadn't behaved like it should have. The light grew brighter and brighter, the meteor flying closer and dropping out of the sky. Our little cul-de-sac lit up as bright as day. Even with my eyes closed, the light glared through my hands and eyelids. It seared my eyes and I cried out at the pain. An angry roaring sound filled the air as the light grew even brighter. I could feel the sound deep in my chest. Seconds later, a huge crash exploded outside the cul-de-sac. It shook the earth and we all screamed. A huge wave of heat knocked me to the ground. The bright light behind my eyes was gone. I cautiously opened them. The fire had gone out and all of our camping chairs were knocked over. My neighbors were standing up slowly as if dazed. The meteor shower in the sky had ended, and the stars no longer twinkled above us. A strange aura of glowing blue light had appeared through the trees beyond our houses. I looked to John and Connor, who had fallen to the ground nearby. They both wore shocked looks on their faces, that glowed eerily in the light given off by whatever had landed in our neighborhood. What the hell was that? A meteor? No, meteors only exist in the sky. They're barely the size of a grain of sand. Then what was it? Marsha looked terrified as she held Tim's hand in a vice-like grip. I could see her trembling in the eerie light. Maybe we should go investigate. Yeah, I bet it was a meteorite. That would be so cool. A meteorite? How could a meteorite land so close to us and not kill us all? I don't know. Maybe it was just a little one. Let's go check it out. Hold on a sec, Connor. We can't just go running off into the forest. It's dark outside. Plus, it's way past your bedtime and the meteor shower is over. But Mom, I want to see the meteorite. No, your mom is right. It's too dangerous for you to go running around in the dark. If it is a meteorite, we can go back and look at it in the morning. Come on, Connor. Let's go inside and get ready for bed. Connor pouted and ran inside slamming the front door behind him. I sighed and followed, dreading his teenage years that were soon coming. John gave a reassuring smile as I went inside. 
I found Connor in his room, dutifully donning his pajamas. He glared at me when I opened the door, but still crawled into bed. I explained to him how dangerous the forest could be at night. But he wouldn't listen to me and rolled on his side facing away from me. I sighed and left him alone, figuring he would be happier in the morning when we could go check out the cool meteorite in the daylight. Back outside on the driveway, Tim and John were talking excitedly, flashlights in hand. Marcia stood off to the side, clutching her arms and looking like a poor lost child. I put my hand on John's arm and asked what we were going to do. The strange blue light shone steadily out from the trees. We're going to go find out what the hell that thing was that crashed out there. Judging by the effects of the crash, it can't be that far away. But it must be what's causing this weird light. Never heard of a meteorite giving off light like this before. It could be something we've never seen before. John looked so excited, but in the strange light it gave his face a manic and crazed look that I didn't care for. Are you sure it's safe? It's still pretty dark and you could get lost in there. I'm sure it's fine. These flashlights all have brand new batteries, and really the forest isn't all that big. It's more like a big cluster of trees than anything. We'll be fine, honey. Oh, you think I'm letting you go out there all by yourselves, do you? This was starting to sound like an adventure, and what John said was true. The forest wasn't big, not even a mile across. Marsha, however, clutched Tim's hand. I'm not going in there. We don't even know what that thing is. It can't be normal. That light is not normal. Please, Tim, don't go. I promise you I'll be okay. You don't have to come with us. You could stay at our house and watch Connor. We can't leave him home alone with all the excitement. And I want to go with them to make sure they don't do anything stupid. Um, yeah, sure. Tim gave her a brief squeeze before letting her go. She walked quickly to the front door of my house and let herself in. All right, let's get this adventure started. The three of us crossed the cul-de-sac and walked into the line of trees. I thought it would be darker inside the forest with the trees closing in on all sides and leaves blocking the feeble light from the stars. The strange light glowed between the trees. It grew steadily stronger the farther in we walked. It reminded me of fog on a rainy day seeping between the trees. The night was still and quiet. There were no noises apart from our footsteps crunching through fallen leaves. The forest seemed unnatural and eerie. The normal nighttime noises were gone, and the silence they left behind was heavy and oppressive. I felt if I made any noise beyond my footsteps in the dead leaves, it would disturb something in the night. I knew it was crazy. I knew there was nothing in the forest but the trees. There was nothing to be scared of. No crazy monster to be woken up by the footsteps of mortals. But I couldn't shake that feeling. That animal instinct to stay as quiet as possible. Tim and John must have felt the same thing. I noticed that our footsteps became softer, quieter. We paid more attention to each footfall to avoid stepping on twigs that could break and snap. The air around us got colder and I began to see wisps of mist curling and twisting among the roots of the trees. Goosebumps creeped up my arms. Ahead of us, the trees thinned and the airy light grew stronger. 
All at once, we stood at the edge of a clearing that had been made by the thing that landed here. Trees lay broken and twisted away from the center. The thing in the center looked like some kind of pod or egg. It was inky black, surrounded by the strange glowing light. The light radiated off, burning into my eyes as I stared. It was shaped like a pine cone with the base struck several feet into the ground and rising up to a tapered and rounded point. As we watched, several glowing bright lights appeared running from the tip of the pod down to the base. The blue lines widened and the black segments split apart, spilling light onto the forest floor. The pod opened up until the segments lay flat against the ground. Looking at the pod was like staring directly into the sun. I shielded my eyes from the intense light and squinted while still trying to see what was happening. There was something inside the pod. A kind of column. It was as black as the outside of the pod had been, but it looked like it was moving. A horrible image of flies crawling over a desiccated corpse flashed through my mind. As I watched, horrified, small tendrils of blackness twisted away from the column. They curled out from the pod, the tips dancing in the light as if searching through the air for something. As I watched their dance-like movements, small appendages popped away from the main part. They looked like hooks or thumbs with claws, and ran the whole length of the tentacle like a centipede's many legs. They sat in pairs and clicked together as though clapping. More and more of the strange clawed tentacles unwound out of the pod. They swirled and swayed as they climbed up into the air, and their inky blackness showed in stark contrast to the light coming from the pod. The clicking of the claws began to sound something like Morse code, like they were talking to each other. I tripped over something on the forest floor and nearly fell over. I hadn't realized that I had been walking ever so slowly closer to the pod. The dancing tentacles and clicking claws had mesmerized me like a snake charmer. I didn't know how long I had been staring in a trance at the pod. Even then, although aware of myself again, I felt a longing to stare at the tentacles and lose myself. I had to pull my eyes away from it to look at the others. I nearly screamed when I saw what was happening to them. I hadn't seen it while I had been transfixed by the pod, but larger, root-like tentacles had slithered along the ground and climbed their way up the bodies of Tim and John. These tentacles didn't have hooks like the others, but they were slimy and wet and rubbing along the eyes of the men who stared transfixed at the pod in front of them. I finally screamed when I realized what I was seeing. The pod was licking them. It was licking their eyes. Beneath the licking tentacles, their eyes had completely disappeared. It looked like acid had melted the skin over their eyes and glued them shut. <laughs> Flesh-colored droplets dripped from their eyelids and down their faces. I ran to John and pulled at the slimy tentacle mangling his face. It was so slippery I couldn't get a good grip on it. And it was strong. I couldn't pull it off of him. 
Whatever substance it was coated in felt warm, almost hot, and the nerves in my hands tingled painfully as I tried in vain to get it off of my husband. He didn't react or even move as I called his name over and over. I tried to push him over to get him to wake up, but he was too deep in the trance. I couldn't stand to look at what was left of his face. By now, the acid had melted off most of his nose, and the tongue-like tentacle was working its way over his mouth. I could start to see the stark white of the bones in his jaw when I finally turned away. The pod had changed again when I looked back at it. A black orb now sat on top of the column. As I watched, a seam split the orb in half, exactly how the pod had opened up earlier. The seam got wider and wider until it was no longer black, but completely white. No, it wasn't completely white. The longer I stared at the hypnotic orb, I began to see smaller tendrils of black creeping up from the bottom. They snaked up the sides, branching off here and there to look like roots growing upwards. I was so entranced again with staring at this thing that I didn't notice at first that it was moving. It was rotating on an invisible axis until I realized what I was looking at. It was an eye. The eye looked directly at me. It was frighteningly large, with a black iris blending into an even blacker pupil. I struggled to wake myself from its trance. My mind screamed at me to run away as fast as I could. Slowly, as though moving through molasses, I finally convinced my head to turn. The second my eyes broke contact with that thing, I broke out of my trance. I turned around immediately, but something stopped me from bolting away into the forest. The men were staring at me, or at least their faces turned in my direction. Two pairs of melted eyes locked onto my position. The tentacles molesting their faces had retreated back into the pod. I stood frozen in place. I didn't know how they could possibly see me. Behind me, I could hear the rhythmic clicking of the clawed tentacles. There was something different about it now, though. The clicking was becoming more intense, almost frantic. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it was bad. Tim and John, with their mangled faces, took a single step towards me. The clicking became unified with each clawed pair clacking together at the same time. Fuck it. I bolted into the trees. I ran as fast as I could, dodging tree branches and trying not to stumble on roots and sticks. I could hear them behind me, chasing me. The incessant clicking noises followed us as we ran through the forest. Was it controlling them? Somehow telling them what to do? I pushed aside the questions in my mind. It didn't matter. I had to get away. I had to get home. I kept running through the trees. My lungs burned with each breath as I pushed myself to run faster. The trees began to thin, and I could see the light from the cul-de-sac up ahead. I could still hear them crashing through the trees behind me. I gasped with each breath. I just wanted to collapse and cry on the forest floor. My husband was gone. 
He was chasing me down through the woods as if he was going to kill me. My husband. And I knew if I stopped for a second, he wouldn't hesitate to rip me limb from limb. I broke out of the forest and onto the pavement. I dashed towards the front door of my house, ripped it open, and slammed it shut behind me. My fingers shook as I tried to lock and bolt the door. I didn't stop to breathe as I ran around the house, making sure every single window was locked and covered with drapes. Mom? Connor stood in the hallway staring at me with wide, frightened eyes. He had his spaceship pajamas on and his hair was all tousled from sleep. What's going on? Connor, sweetie, we need to go to the basement. Why? Marsha came out of the bedroom to stand by Connor. She put a protective arm around his shoulders. What happened out there? Where's Tim? I'll explain everything when we're in the basement. I peeked around one of the curtains in the front window. The men were coming out of the forest beyond the cul-de-sac. We didn't have much time before they reached the house. I went to Connor and grabbed his hand. Come on, we're going to the basement now. I was relieved when Connor didn't argue or beg for answers. He followed me quietly as I hurried down the hallway towards the basement door. I looked back to make sure Marcia was following, too. She looked frightened and confused, but followed me down the hallway. We went through the basement door and down the stairs into the darkness. I let go of Connor's hand briefly so I could feel around for the string that would turn the light on. After a few seconds, I found it, and a dim glow illuminated the old basement. It wasn't in great shape. John and I had been meaning to renovate it for ages, but we had never found the time. Tears burned in my eyes at the thought of John, but I pushed the painful feelings aside. I had to make sure Connor and I stayed safe. I recruited Marsha's help in putting the heaviest things we could carry up the stairs to block the door down to the basement. It wasn't much, just a few bags of water softener salt and old sports equipment. I hoped it would hold them off until we could come up with some kind of plan. We went back down the stairs and blocked the egress windows set up high in the walls. It really wouldn't keep them out for long, not if they were determined. But it was the best we could do. We spread out some old sleeping bags on the dirty floor and I wrapped my arms around Connor in a big bear hug. Whatever happened, at least I had my son. I put my head against his and let the tears flow into his curly blonde hair. My husband was gone. I knew that now. I had seen his face, or what was left of it. Whatever the hell that pod was, it had taken the humanity from John. He was gone. As good as dead. I hugged Connor tighter. I would never let what happened to John happen to my son. Never. Karen? Marsha reached out a hand to hold mine, squeezing it briefly. Can you please tell us what happened? Connor looked up at me with big blue eyes. He had John's eyes. I took a deep breath and explained what had happened after we reached the pod. I tried to skip some of the more gruesome details about what that licking tentacle had done to their faces. Even by omitting the gore, I could tell I had frightened Marsha and Connor. Tears welled in Marsha's eyes as she came to the same realization I had. Our husbands were gone. I gave Connor a tight squeeze. 
I couldn't look into his face as he realized that he would never see his father again. At least, not the father he knew. His body was still out there, hunting us down like a wolf. <gasps> they were trying to get in. Marsha gathered close to us and we sat huddled under the single light bulb in the grimy basement. There was nothing we could do but wait and see if they would go away. The banging echoed around us, coming from every direction. They had surrounded the house. I could picture them in my mind, circling the house, banging fists against every window and every door, prying for weaknesses that would let them in. I closed my eyes tight and prayed the locks would hold. We need to call the police. Do you have your cell phone? Mine is still in my house. I think I do. I felt around in my pockets for my phone. I pulled it out and dialed 911. My hands shook so hard I almost dropped the phone trying to push the call button. I held the phone to my ear and heard ringing on the other end. A cool female voice answered. 911, what's your emergency? My husband and a neighbor are outside my house. They're trying to attack us. I thought it would be best not to mention the thing in the forest that had eaten their faces. She would have laughed me off the phone if she knew. Okay, what's your address? I'll send officers right away. I told her my address and finished the call. She said officers should be there in five minutes. I hoped we could make it that long. The banging around the house hadn't stopped. I pulled Connor back into my arms and tried to stay calm. We sat huddled together for what felt like hours. With my hands over Connor's ears trying to block out the noises of the attack. Then, without warning, the banging suddenly stopped. Marcia and I looked at each other apprehensively. She stood up and crept towards one of the windows, moving aside a towel we had used to cover it. Flashing blue and red lights shone in the basement. The police were here. A horrified scream pierced the night, and all three of us jumped at the sound of it. I stepped to the window with Marcia and peeked outside. Two uniformed police officers stood aiming their weapons at John and Tim a few yards away. Even from a distance, I could see their guns shaking in their hands. John and Tim walked slowly towards the officers, either not seeing or not caring about the guns aimed at their hearts. One of the officers shouted a warning to stop, but it fell on deaf ears. John stumbled to his knees. I cried out from behind the window. Blood began pouring out of the wound in John's chest, staining his shirt red. He glanced down briefly, then got back on his feet and continued walking towards the police officers. The bullet in his chest didn't even faze him. I couldn't understand how he was still alive and walking. Something about that pod in the woods must have affected him, but it didn't make any sense. The officer fired another round into John, and this time he didn't even flinch as more blood flowed down his chest. The other officer spoke into his radio and called for backup. They took slow steps backwards, retreating away from Tim and John. Suddenly, Tim and John broke into a sprint and ran at the two officers. They ignored the bullets that shot at them and grabbed the officers by their arms. One of the officer's legs bent at an awkward angle. Tim began dragging him into the woods while John wrestled with the other officer. I watched horrified as John picked up a large rock lying nearby and slammed it down onto the officer's head. 
he immediately went limp. John grabbed him by the arm and dragged him into the woods after Tim. Silence settled heavily around us. I looked at Connor still cowering on the blanket and tried to figure out what to do. We should leave. They're gone now, but they might come back. And go where? Our homes are here. Tears were running down Marsha's face. I ran my hands through my hair. I don't know. Maybe my mom's? She's about an hour away. That should be enough distance to be safe. Are we going to come back for Dad? His voice was so small and sad my heart broke hearing it. I don't think so, honey. Come with me and we can start packing your suitcase. We're going to stay with Grandma for a little bit. I don't want to leave Dad. I grabbed his hand and squeezed it. I know, but he's gone now. We have to leave him. I'm so sorry. Connor sobbed and threw his arms around me. I hugged him tight for a moment before taking his hand and leading him upstairs to start packing. We packed light. Only one bag apiece with nothing but essentials. Marcia was too scared to leave the house, so I let her borrow some of my things. We all got into the car and I started driving. I kept glancing in the rearview mirror and at the trees outside of the car. Suddenly, at the edge of the trees in front of us, I saw four figures standing there, watching us drive by. Two of them wore police uniforms, and none of them had faces. I pressed the gas pedal down as far as it would go and raced past them. The trees surrounding us thinned and eventually disappeared, leaving buildings and houses in their place. The town was quiet and still, but I didn't take any chances and drove straight to my mom's house, putting as much distance between us and whatever still sat in the forest. As we drove through the night, Connor sat in the back seat staring up at the sky. After what had happened, I hoped his days of excitement about spaceships and aliens and little men on the moon were over. But Connor was a smart kid. And smart kids are very, very curious. Connor's gaze shifted from the vast expanse of space back to me. The look in my son's eyes. Those eyes so much like his father's told me that this wasn't over for us. Not by a long shot. Ah, wasn't that lovely? Togetherness, friendship, acceptance, all of that. A, uh, a happy ending, to be sure. It doesn't feel right, does it? <laughs> I don't even know who the hell I'm talking to. But yeah, I, I guess this is it. I guess I'd better get back before they eat all the cheesecake.
as the lights come back on, our stories come to an end. Please remember to be kind and rewind. If you would like to find out how you can hear the full-length versions of our audio program, please visit thenosleeppodcast.com to learn about our Season Pass program. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening. Join us at the video store next week. Our door is always open. This audio production is copyright 2019 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc.